Hey everybody, what is going on? My name is DJ and this is the Restaurant Growth Podcast presented by Seven Shifts. On this show, we sit down with the best minds in hospitality to bring you new insights and big ideas to help your restaurant grow. Kristen Barnett joins us on the show today to chat about her exciting new ghost kitchen concept, Hungry House. Kristen has a number of years experience working in ghost kitchen ops, and we dive into the do's, don'ts, whys, and hows of getting into the ghost kitchen business. We also get into why she calls Hungry House the anti-ghost kitchen. As always, your feedback is welcome and appreciated. Tell us what you think, who you want to hear from, and anything else by shooting us an email to podcast at sevenshifts.com. And with that, here's my chat with Kristen. Hey, Kristen, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to just kick it right off, how did you get started in the hospitality and restaurant business? Yeah, so I started my career actually originally as a management consultant. I worked for Boston Consulting Group here in their New York City office and really envisioned I would have a somewhat traditional business career. Like I envisioned going to business school and all of that. I studied business undergrad. And my career ended up taking a different turn. I had been struggling with chronic Lyme disease for a few years at that point, and it became really wow. difficult to manage while I was doing all the traveling with management consulting and just the the pace of that lifestyle. Difficult to manage when you're healthy, extra difficult to manage yeah. when you have a chronic illness. And so for sure, I essentially just became desperate to feel better. The medicine wasn't working, and I finally turned to dietary change. And I went raw vegan, not for the faint of heart. Okay. It was pretty intense, no. but I had a, a really miraculous recovery. I went from barely being able to walk to walking with no pain in 20 days. And so wow. naturally I rethought a lot of things in my life that really changed yeah. my perspective. And I decided I wanted to dedicate my career to working in the food industry and you know, fundamentally being able to answer the question of how to make good food at scale. And so that's how yeah. I got started. I joined Dig In, now Dig, um, based here in New York, and got in right as the company was gearing up for some pretty immense growth. And over the next few years while I was there, the company tripled in size, and I had the opportunity to run multiple teams and really just had that perfect, like, immersive boot camp in the food business and so many components of it. So that was great. That's awesome. And then from Dig... You know, how many years did you spend uh, out there when it was dig in, dig now during that growth period? I was there for three and a half years. Excellent. And then from there, um, is that when you made the move over to Zool? Is that correct? correct yes, okay, I'd cool. actually met Corey and Sean, the co-founders of Zool, uh, while I was Very at cool. Dig. Then we ended up reconnecting after I'd left and I learned about what they were doing and the rest is history. I was, <laughs> I was completely <laughs> obsessed with food delivery and ghost kitchens. And I just knew yeah. that that was where I wanted to be. I had this feeling it was just the next big thing and no one was taking it seriously. This was yeah. pre pandemic, of course. And yeah, so, I was going to say, yeah, I joined right as we opened the actual large ghost kitchen facility based in Soho. Very cool. And so did you kind of um, get a picture of the delivery scene and, and start getting interested in that in your time at Dick? Absolutely. While I was there, delivery was growing 20% year over year without us investing in marketing that program or really just generally thinking about it and its optimization. We just knew like our restaurants were getting busier and busier, both with the customers, but also now with all these delivery orders. And it was really disruptive to our business, especially 
especially when you thought about the guest perspective, they're walking down the line, they want their food, but they see everyone really busy with this huge amount of yeah. tickets of delivery orders to these anonymous customers. And they're like, what's going on? So, you know, it did, we had a, you know, longstanding project and strategic initiative to uh, enhance and optimize our delivery business, leveraging hub kitchens across the city that could have intersecting yeah. delivery zones. And I was very fortunate to be a part of that project. Ultimately, we launched our own virtual brand, which we cool. didn't even call a virtual brand at that time. We just called it like our new food delivery concept. You know, it wasn't, yeah. And there weren't these defined terms as there are now. And um, that was my first real immersion because it was becoming more and more important for the business as consumer behavior shifted as these apps were in their ultra high mm -hmm. growth phases and we had to respond. Yeah. It just had to, and this was pre-pandemic. It was just starting to gain steam. Yeah. Um, and then of course it became the only way to get food for a little bit for a lot yes, of people. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about that transition over to Zool and I guess what Zool is for those who don't know. And then I guess also we'll get into what you're doing now, but yeah. maybe the story from Zool to, to Hungry House. Absolutely. So Zool, New York City based ghost kitchen infrastructure and technology startup, which was acquired last fall by Kitchen United. And essentially when I joined the company, we just opened the ghost kitchen facility and we were in the midst of acquiring a small tech company in Philly cool. called Entree, which after acquisition became really the basis of our proprietary multi-brand, multi-operator ghost kitchen tech stack. I was yeah. brought on to essentially speak the language of all the restaurants we were working with, understanding that business inside and out, helping them optimize it to ensure that they were successful in a dark kitchen format. So yeah. going through with the owners or the you know directors of ops, here's how the PL is going to look. This is the importance of your native delivery channel. This is how your labor model might change. Let's explore the streamlining of your menu, you know, have you leveraged another restaurant and you have in the city as a commissary, like all of yep. those strategic questions to really ensure that the lighter format ops of a dark kitchen and the nuance in the revenue channel breakdown, yeah, you know, was going to work for them. My directive was, you know, let's make these restaurants really successful. And, yep. you know, super quickly, we realized the number one thing we could do was drive more demand to them, you know, help them mm. discover and acquire more customers and yeah. make sure that people knew they were around. And so that was a huge focus for us with our technology. It's ultimately, you know, what went into a lot of the strategy with our partnership model and everything we're doing with commercial landlords across the city. Yeah. So I was largely uh, leading product there while at Zool. Very cool. So that was more, Zool, the model was kind of these ghost kitchen hubs where multiple brands could live at the same time and you could order from multiple brands. I could order from a pizza brand and my, you know, my wife could order from a taco place and we could get that all together, like a virtual food hall. Exactly. And that was powered by our network of facilities, either the one that we ran in Soho or others that we were licensing yeah. to that house these multiple operators, you know, operating separately, but then us actually bundling all of those orders together enabled by our technology, but obviously powered by the teams there as well. Nice. And then that kind of transitioned into what you're doing now with Hungry House. Is that correct? Yeah, you could say so. I mean, a lot of what Hungry House is built on as a foundation 
was informed by my learnings at Zool. I was so fortunate to have this front row seat to the ghost kitchen craze of 2020 and 2021. What a buzzword, right? And so I had pretty much seen every different P&L, every different operating model, had a good understanding of what worked, what didn't, and wanted to build what was the perfect ghost kitchen operator, really focusing on the actual execution of the food. And that seems to be one of the biggest things to with ghost kitchens is that quality execution and quality control. Of course. I mean, it's just the biggest thing in the food industry in general, right? In general, but, yeah, of course. Um, that's, how, yeah. that's literally bare minimum of what you need to do. But I, I think yeah. it's been such an active debate among the ghost kitchen industry because of the variety of operating models, right? And the fact that there are so many brands now that are entering into these licensing deals, they're being launched across the country, licensed to a variety of independent uh, operating chains and being executed within another person's kitchen. Obviously, quality control is going to be something to talk about because that is a operational feat to be able to do that, run those networks successfully and deliver a consistent experience to your customers. Absolutely. And so what does what separates uh, Hungry House now from the, I guess, what you would call traditional ghost kitchen concept of just having a brand that's cooked out of a commissary, unbranded, you know, and delivered based on, on that, um, like an offsite location? Um, what separates you from that single unit restaurant model? Well, um, a few things. So one, we, you know, call ourselves in a very tongue in cheek way, but the anti-ghost Anti, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it only in the sense that just from a business, yes, it's cheeky, but it, it does have connections to how we think about our strategy from a real estate perspective, from a brand perspective, and from an ops perspective. So starting from the ops piece, what we do is we cook all of these brands simultaneously within our kitchen. There is nothing that innovative about it, but always good to clarify because there are the various different ghost kitchen models, and we are vertically integrated in that sense. The main differentiator, though, is that we're really the first direct-to-consumer ghost kitchen. We wanted customers to know who Hungry House was from day one and what Mm. we stood for, why we picked the brands we worked with, and what they meant to the consumer. Now, why this was important (laughs) was because, you know, otherwise, like, how are you going to organize these brands together? Why would customers come to your website versus going to DoorDash? all of that. And it also allows us to actually create a really cohesive experience between digital and physical pickup walk-in orders that we also feature. So this kind of brings me to the second piece, which is we also really believe in having pickup and kiosk orders. We want our guests to see us, to know us, and to be able to interact with our operation. Hungry House has a sign and a counter We are out there um, and it mimics the design and brand architecture of our website where you're ordering off the Hungry House website, but picking from one of the different collabs that we have with our various chefs. Now, the same thing happens when you walk up to order from our kiosk. You go up to the counter, you'll click the kiosk to order. You're looking at beautiful photos from the variety of chefs that we have. And so without that, you know, you just hear about the stories of people going and looking for their food for Mr. Beast Burger and it's coming yeah. out of, 
you know, God knows where, like an yeah. establishment the customer is not, doesn't expect to be buying food from. And yep. there's a lot of dissonance in that experience. You know, I think that what we're doing and what I'm trying to build with Hungry House is fundamentally remembering what gets people to decide to purchase food. It's a story, it's hospitality, it's feeling connected to the why this food's existence. And I felt that the ghost kitchen industry over-indexed on all the amazing supply chain and tech innovations, mm. but forgot why people order food, which is, yeah. you know, what either a cultural connection, like us having learned about it through a video on Instagram and, or understanding the chef's story and how hard they've worked to get where they are. And so yeah. all of those things went into us really reimagining from top to bottom what a ghost kitchen could be. Absolutely. One thing um, that you mentioned that I'm, I'm curious about, you mentioned all of the brands are cooked out of the same kitchen. Is that correct? That's correct. So I'm curious from a like food uh, inventory standpoint, are they all working off of the same? So yes, we go through a pretty intensive commercialization process with each of our chefs. They're okay. submitting three to 10 recipes to us. We select the best ones after evaluating them either strategically based on, you know, targeting our local customer base, the lunch day part, we're looking yeah. at cost, we're looking at operational simplicity to be able to execute it successfully in our kitchen. But we also have supply chain constraints. We have our standardized distributors that we work with, that we have very strong relationships with and great sourcing programs. We then are open to bringing in specific items for a given brand, but we do really look to have 85% overlap of our supply chain of any given brand with the rest to ensure that we're not needlessly increasing complexity. And we find that that's a huge advantage of our yeah. model is just the amount of control we have over what we actually cook in our kitchen to make it all work together. Absolutely. And just getting the chefs like in on it and collaborating together, like and yeah. how to do this in the most efficient way. So it's not like you know, too many cooks for, for lack of a better, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> and they, they want at the end of the day to see their menu items successfully executed. Yeah. And they also want to see Hungry House be successful and grow because they also share in that success through our agreements with them. So I feel like we've set up a architecture that just aligns incentives on many different points throughout the business. Absolutely. And then going back as well to the anti ghost kitchen kind of slogan um, and philosophy that you have. So that's really just taking out the kind of the ghost part where it's trying to hide behind because a lot of like you mentioned with the Mr. Beast being cooked somewhere else. It's like I remember seeing like during the pandemic when ghost kitchen started popping up crazy. It was like this is actually just Chuck E. Cheese and like people were making TikToks about it and they're like right, right. So, so shocked. And it's like you're not going to build goodwill by it, it it's not like lying directly, but it's like we're not being transparent about where this is really coming from. And I think that's what where the kind of ghost kitchens find that they're not successful. Um, and then you're just trying to kind of flip that on its head and say, well, we're actually going to share what we're doing and we're going to show you what we're really all about. And we're not shy about the fact that this is a ghost kitchen. Right. And I was trying to explain what we did in the beginning or come up with a different name for our model. And I still ended up sticking with ghost kitchen. I just yeah. dropped the anti in front of it to <laughs> say why, like that we are different, but I really didn't have a different name for what we're creating. You know, at the end of the day, 
Our yeah. chefs are licensing their recipes to us. They're not there every day. The difference is though, that customers know who Hungry House is and our team feels like they're a part of the Hungry House team. The mission, vision, and values is very clear yeah. to them. And it ends up being a, just a more holistic experience. And also, you know, when we think about the customer ordering from Chuck E. Cheese and being confused what's going on, as you yeah. said, that has a really negative impact on brand equity. Yeah. But when you order from Hungry House and you're coming through the website, you're seeing all the extra content about who these people are, why these dishes exist. We're not building, you know, when you think of a typical influencer-led ghost kitchen brand, we're not building something kitschy order once. We're building a food business where you become a regular. And what's really interesting is that we've seen by the time the customer orders a second time, 65% of them are actually trying a different brand on the menu. That to wow. me shows that they're becoming hungry house customers. They trust yep. us for the curation. They like our offering. And yes, maybe they've heard about us through the chef and that's what got their attention. But then they're saying, oh, like I would eat here again. And that's really critical. You know, I think a lot of ghost kitchens catch a lot of flack for just being like, oh, you know, my 10-year-old told me I had, whatever, 14-year-old told me I had to order this thing. Yeah. And that's, that's great. I mean, that's a great, that it's, it's an amazing indicator of the marketing power of leveraging the creator economy. But I want yes. it to be here to stay for the long term. I want a sustainable business. I don't want to have to pay crazy amounts to acquire customers. I want to build something that's good, people like, and they come back to. Yeah, that's something that you hit on that that I was going to to ask about as well was like the one and done thing where it seems like a lot of the celebrity brands are built to kind of be that like, oh, I, I like my son likes Mr. Beast. So I'm going to order this once and probably never again. Right. But you're trying to build that repeat customer, which I think, you know, any restaurateur will tell you is like where where success is. For a chef, like for the chefs that you feature um, and the food, the food people that you feature, when when do you say is the right time? Or a restaurant or a chef, someone who wants their own food business to go with the ghost kitchen route versus opening a brick and mortar. So I think what's absolutely critical when thinking about ghost kitchens as a solution for your business is defining your customers and starting from that point. I've seen a okay. lot of successful ghost kitchen businesses come into existence because they were maybe had a restaurant and they were offloading a lot of demand that they couldn't handle there, whether it was catering, certain production needs, et cetera. If you need to go and move your production to another place, still accessing customers, but you don't require the front of house experience, that's a great fit because you're not in the business of acquiring new customers. Now, what also might be a good fit, let's say if you're a chef, is if you've built a large social following or if you have a huge email list that wants your products, Again, defining the customers is just absolutely critical here. If you are dropping yeah. into a dark kitchen and your strategy for customer acquisition is I'm going to list on the third-party apps, I would strongly recommend you don't do that. Okay. It's going to be very difficult to only leverage those platforms for customer acquisition based on the fact that there is an extreme amount of concepts on these platforms now. It's very crowded. The algorithm is challenging to get good placement at the top. And oftentimes you'll be charged extra for it. Not to mention if 100% of your revenue is coming through third-party platforms, at least at the beginning, that's 100% of your revenue already ripping out 20 to 25% of your bottom line. And, and if you've been right. in the food business, you really know how challenging it is 
to turn a profit. And, and that has a significant impact on your operating success um, or your success with your operating model. And so those are two scenarios I'd say it's probably really good for you to go and explore. It has to be that social media connection or it has to be a predetermined set of customers. And then from there, you can build your business around it. But even so, I would just be very careful about entering into those contracts, making sure that it is the right place and the economics work. Absolutely. So so what I'm kind of gathering is don't expect it to be a brand building thing or a demand driving thing if the demand isn't already there because of how crowded the space actually is. Yeah, I mean, I would say that one of the big key learnings that I've had being in the industry now is I think we all underestimate the value of a storefront, your billboard, and telling customers yeah. in a local community that you are there. Without that, it's very hard. There are barely any other cheaper ways to tell people, search for me, even in the delivery apps or on Google to order for delivery. Yeah. If you don't have that, it's very challenging. This is where I think you can build a really great business by first starting with a pop-up series, validate mm. the concept, get people interested, build the social media, get email addresses, take pre-orders, capture data and refine the recipes, but don't get into a larger financial commitment until you've seen proven demand for what you do. Yeah. And so I think social media has provided the most amazing platform for validation. We saw this happen throughout the pandemic, people selling like bread out of their apartments. You know, yeah. you're in New York, DJ, so... Yeah. You've probably seen all those amazing stories. I have friends who have forced fire escape. They were like handing yep. down burritos in a bucket, you know, on a string out of their apartment. And yeah. It's just examples of ways to connect with people and validate concepts and build hype with a more, I think it's like an overall better risk profile as a chef starting out. Yeah. And I, I definitely bought some things off of Instagram. Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think I bought some different thing, bread. I definitely bought avocados. I had someone bring avocados to my house. So um, there's <laughs> definitely a, a market out there, especially yeah. for food. Yes. Especially for food. Yeah. But yeah, so I think the, the key kind of takeaway is um, building your brand before you enter into kind of one of these ghost kitchen concepts or go, uh, go the, that route. Do any of your chefs um, in your lineup right now, do they have brick and mortar locations? The only one is Apocalypse Burger, and it's a brand okay. based in Indiana. They started there during the pandemic, have an amazing social presence, and is a brand that I feel really speaks to a city like New York. It's got a great attitude. It's exceptional yeah. design, and not to mention the product and quality was very aligned with what we focus on is Hungry House. We store special beef from Happy Valley meat. The nice. cheese is like this house-made cheese sauce. It was exactly the way we wanted to do a burger led by Martha Hoover, who is a champion of farm to table, you know, supporting her hospitality workforce and just is an overall incredible collaborator to work with. Yeah, and they look absolutely fantastic. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the website right now, so and I think I think you deliver to to me. So uh, maybe maybe that'll be on the menu. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and what do you look for when you're kind of vetting and deciding um, who to feature in your in in your lineup at Hungry House? Are there any kind of key key aspects or core values that you look to with the chefs that you feature? 
Yeah, for us looking at the chefs, I mean, this is where I like to say this part of the business is more art than science, but mm. we are looking to work with young ascendant voices that are sharing content and stories about food that are clearly resonating with a group mm. of people. Like we're not going to partner with someone earlier in their journey, maybe still figuring out their voice like a few hundred followers, it's just not going to be the right time for us to leverage our platform to really take it to the next level. So we work with chefs who are micro influencers and above. We have a wide range. I think that's actually the beauty of our platform. And we look for people who have had a proof of concept before that people want to buy their food. So they must have already done a pop-up or release some sort of product and shown that their following is passionate enough to be motivated to go travel somewhere to buy it. That is incredible, right? Yeah. And so for us, it's a strong indicator that there's pent up demand for the chef, what they're doing, and people are interested. And then we'll usually be matching up based on what our cuisine gaps might be, what we think our local customers want, what they've requested, and that's where we really start to do the menu construction of putting together what the overall Hungry House lineup is going to look like. Very cool. So just finding those people that have the following already, proof of concept, like you mentioned before, being one of the keys to kind of ghost kitchen success as well. Yeah. And I think one other layer, which is important to us, is the fact that we have an incredibly diverse lineup. We want yeah. to make sure that we are featuring voices that maybe haven't been highlighted in the food industry before. You know, I think we're in the midst of a really exciting revolution in like food media as, Absolutely, you know, yeah. TV becomes less important and our phones become more important. Who are we all watching? Who is going to move the needle in terms of discovering some new cuisine that could be the next big thing in the U.S.? Yep. Um, these are the types of kind of touch points I want to create for the Hungry House customers, but also the types of voices that I feel like are underserved when it comes to food media. And I think it's so important sure. that our lineup reflects what the future should be. And we're going to work really hard to always stay true and ensure that our lineup is a, a very strong representation of a more diverse and equitable food industry. Absolutely. And just giving a platform to those who maybe wouldn't be able to open brick and mortars yet or go that like route and get the funding to do that or have the large following to do so. Yeah, we hope we are a, you know, step on the journey to them becoming a huge star. And, um, you know, that's, like our entire ethos is how can we uplift the chefs that we work with? Because I think everything we do at Hungry House has just been created with the idea that even though technology is changing everything about food, we can still tell amazing inspirational stories. And these chefs have them. And like people are excited to gain access to their, their worlds as well. Absolutely. And I think taking it a step further to, um, I mean, my background is in food media as well, but like not only just giving a platform and highlighting, but giving them a chance to actually, you know, make money and, and do what they do and make a living off. Yeah. Of too. Let's not forget that. Like being a chef, <laughs> like, I think, I think chefs are, at least in my conversations with people, the community here in New York, everyone's rethinking their whole career in food, you know? And I think yeah. that 
what social media has offered chefs is instead of the traditional career path, cutting your teeth for 20 years and like 14 hour days and kitchen basements, that's no longer the only path. And there are certainly still chefs out there, really amazing industry leaders who think that that's what it needs to be. But the young people I'm talking to, the leaders I'm speaking with and the chefs that we work with, they're thinking about it completely differently. You know, these chefs are omni-channel food brands, right? Like they're building a movement and it can be a variety of different things, touch points, activations, it's pop-ups, it's a hungry house partnership. It's, you know, limited edition swag, all of it, but like, it's all centered around food and then being a chef and then being a creative and using food as a medium to inspire people. And so I could rant on this forever. I'm excited about it. (laughs) I think the old guard is changing and I think everyone's going to have to adapt to the new norm because things are shifting as we speak. Absolutely. And and instead of like the, the chef to restaurant pipeline, like I cut my teeth and I opened my place, the restaurant is maybe they don't even have a restaurant right? or the restaurant is just kind of a big part of the larger creative, just like their whole creator persona and their brand. Absolutely. Uh, that a, includes lot of, a lot of other things. A lot of chefs who are releasing cookbooks have maybe like never cooked extensively in restaurants. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's a trying to pay attention to, and it's something that, you know, we're obviously looking at and thinking about at Hungry House. Of course. And yeah, and I guess my last kind of big, big question here for today is there's been some press lately in like the industry press um, that ghost kitchens and virtual brands have kind of ended up as a, as I think the quote in the article is like a dead end for a lot of restaurants and a lot of brands. Um, what do you kind of make of that? And, and what is your kind of take on that? Yeah, I mean, my take on it is these brands weren't built to be long-term successes anyways, when you look at the investment Mm. and the overall quality in the actual concept itself, right? It doesn't have staying power and that's okay. It was kind of meant to be launched and probably have a pop, but not necessarily be the forever answer. I also think that, and I've always thought about this, like restaurants... I thought about this as dine-in came back, right? Restaurants are busy and there's an extreme labor crunch. It's going to become less and less attractive to layer on all these virtual brands when you can barely get through your dinner service, right? And so I think that these brands be, you know, they add inventory complexity. They add complexity to your team's day. They, you know, are going to take you away from critical moments in your dinner service, whatever it is. They are fundamentally and will always be additive, but not core. And so, you know, when I think about the licensing business, it's a great business, of course, but you are so limited in what the capabilities are to create a true brand with meaning, with longevity, with a dedicated and loyal customer base because of the the tenuousness of its existence. It was never Mm. meant to be something around for a hundred years. And that's okay in many ways because it's layered on and it's a supply chain hack and it helps that restaurant get more customers, especially you know during the pandemic when there were extreme times of need. But I do think that now as we face the new operating reality, which is that restaurants are busier than ever and it's never been more difficult from a staffing perspective, a lot of owners are gonna be reconsidering that equation And it might not always work out in the balance of the virtual brand to continue to be a part of it. And so, 
you know, that's where I've thought about, you know, us being an operator, being able to provide that type of security and longevity and ongoing quality control to the chefs we work with is incredibly valuable. And I think will only become more valuable as we look at perhaps the addressable pool of restaurants willing to license a virtual brand that might be slimming. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's where the anti comes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And with that, I think that's about the uh, time we have for today. But um, for those that are interested in Hungry House, where can people find both you and the brand and where can people order? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Kristen Barnett, or you can find Hungry House on our Instagram at Order Hungry House or our website, orderhungryhouse.com. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks so much, DJ. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for checking out the Restaurant Growth Podcast presented by Seven Shifts. We're so grateful to our listeners and we'd love to hear from all of you. Send us an email to podcast at sevenshifts.com and check us out on social. We're at Seven Shifts on all platforms. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next week.